I was going to ask if that was a support pole or a dancing pole. I'm going to get up at some point. Like I wore a very um, a, a tit positive outfit today, and I didn't change it. So um, at some point, I probably should just, you know, for the Jesse's sake, like get up and and dance on this pole. But um, why just Jesse's? I would like to see it. I'll take it. Karen's moving a pole around behind her. It's the flag. It's like a fluorescent flag that she has on the back of her bike. And thank you for introducing the, the term um, tit positive. I was like, I, vocabulary. I just invented this term, but I like it. It's like, you know. That's a, that's a great way to describe a, a vivacious shirt. We're, we're all tit positive here. We're lifestyle choice. Yeah, tit positive, though. It's, that's, that's a better bumper sticker. Yeah, that's that's that pops. Good positive pops. <laughs> it sure does. <laughs>
can just start off by saying that I had a UFO encounter and I was on the news and it was a very isolated event. There was like no way that anybody else knew I had this account or I didn't get yeah. information. I was in a very remote place. And I'm now being like, I'm now being, um, what's it when you're- Revisited. What? Revisited. I, I'm also being confirmed, like now with all this stuff that's coming up in the government and then um, this recent thing from Unsolved Mysteries. You're being validated. Thank you. Validation. Thank you. Yes. Steve Rooney, I climb up you and kiss you. With love. Clearly, clearly you've been tagged. All right, I think I think we have our story. It's like 1970, I think it's 76 or 77. And I'm in camp. It's, uh, I think it's July 31st, I think is the date. I actually have it. It's recorded somewhere on like one of these UFO blogs. Was Star Wars out yet? Star Wars came out, I think, the following year during the blackout. I mean, that's how I remembered. I was up at camp, my brother it was and- 77. Yeah, my brother and dad went to go see it. And New York had a blackout and they had to walk uh, 15 miles across- the city in order to get a place to sleep that night. So wait, that was summer of Sam. That was the summer. Of, yeah. And that was, that was less than a mile from where I grew up. Oh, Karen, you're just going to have to be our resident storyteller from here on out. You're going to just yes. have to come back week after week. Yes. So Northern Boulevard, like with the place where the first son of Sam murder was, where they found the first girl was yeah. my hangout in high school. That's, that's where I once ran, ran away from a gang that threw bottles at us and broke my ankle and was carried three miles home on the back of one of my boyfriends. So, I mean, yeah, I have a lot of stories. Karen, when did you get your first switchblade? <laughs> you know, I was also thinking about like telling you guys about how like I led a walkout in junior high school and also I've been beaten up twice. And the two times I've been beaten up is for standing up for people who were being bullied or taken advantage of because I was born like social justice, like freak, right? Yeah. Yeah, I've never started a fight. I have been in two fights. I've had my nose bloody by two different people. Is one of them an alien? Because let's... Uh, <laughs> Steve, I'm trying to angle her back in. I can, I, can bring, I can bring this in. Wait, give me another sip. Hold on. I do I do want to know. So where is camp? I went to the, the poor Jewish kids camp. So okay. for my dear Goyim here, like in like the 70s and 80s, there used to be camps, you know... Uh, Jew, like all the kids would go away to sleepaway camp. I don't want to like put Jews in camps in the same sentence. It's a bad construction. Wise. Yeah. But um, so the rich Jewish kids would go to camps. Like there's a camp called Wani where all the rich Jewish kids went in the Berkshires. And it was like, they had their horse, everybody had a horse and their bunks had like electricity. And like, I don't know, maybe they had pedicure and manicures on the weekend. And then for the working class kids, we went to a camp called Camp Delaware in Winstead, Connecticut. And is that is is that a Yiddish word? Yeah, yes, it's Yiddish for the Delaware native indigenous tribe of the Delaware. It was nowhere near the Delaware River. I have no idea why it was called Camp Delaware. That's a far drive on a school bus. It's that's why it's sleepaway camp and definitely not. Are you ready for the summer? Are you ready for the good times? It's not meatballs. Is that meatballs? That is meatballs. My wife's favorite. That that was my camp. So I saw me. I felt. So seen. It's the best movie. And Karen, is this camp uh, a week or six weeks? Like a long one? Oh, it's eight weeks. Eight weeks. Oh, wow. Eight okay. week camp. You leave at the end of June. And um, it's in a place called Windsor, Connecticut, which still exists. <laughs> I'm surprised that it's um, right on the border of Connecticut. It's as far west in Connecticut as you can go. It's in the Berkshires. So it's at, like the bottom tip of the Berkshire Mountains. So it's right near Connecticut and Delaware. It's nowhere near Delaware because Delaware is so much further south of me. Got it. I was thrown. I was thrown by the name. 
<laughs> yeah, I don't know. I still don't know why it's called. It's I. We had, you know, a totally disgustingly racist, uh, you know, indigenous persons uh, profile was the logo right. of the camp. It was a Jewish camp, but it wasn't a religious camp. And like it was back in the days when the camp owners would come to your house to sell the camp to you by like they come with like a slide projector and they'd show oh, you wow. all these lovely pictures. But I love I've been going to sleep today, yeah, but I loved it and I was excited. So the first year I went was a big deal. So I was moving from my apartment buildings that I grew up in and housing like a development built post World War II vet development um, yeah. that had like fallout shelters in the basement that were all connected and a lot of blue collar kids who didn't have college educated parents like I did. And so the first year I went to camp, this is two years before this happened. The first year I went to camp, I was also going to junior high school for the first time, starting sixth grade, and we were moving into a house. So it was like a big oh, deal. Yeah, a lot, of, a lot going on. It was big, and I, and I had been a fairly bullied and ostracized kid growing up. I had friends. I had like a couple of friends, but mostly I just had people who made fun of me a lot. And one of my friends is my oldest friend like in the world, Shara Berenson. She's the oldest friend. She's still my friend. She's a tall, strong, amazing person who I've known since I was born. But anyway, so what was cool was the first year I went to camp, I was 11 and I went to camp. And within a week, I was the most popular girl at camp. I went out with David Migliaccio. I went with Bruce Haberman. I was like breaking boys hearts. I was the lead in the play. I was like the star athlete. I was just like, I was having a great time. You just blossomed there. I did. I just Blossom. Did you um, reinvent yourself or did you just get a chance because you were out from the, the thumb of the neighborhood that you just kind of people saw you for you? You didn't. Or did you go there saying, I'm going to eat this camp up? Both, probably. Like I'm I was always big on reinvention, like summers when you could like reinvent yourself. Um, You've changed your scarf several times tonight. <laughs> I, yes, that's me. But yeah, I I. I didn't know I had celiac disease. So like, you know, we didn't know that I had this all my life. So like I would go to camp and I'd stop eating because the food was terrible. So I stopped eating bread. So I'd stop being like sick. And like all of a sudden this big, like I had, I had this skinny arms and skinny legs and this big belly that you get when you have undiagnosed celiac disease and on, and this big round swollen face. So like within a week at camp, I would be like slender down to like my real shape and my hair would get really blonde and long. And I was like, the ultimate 11 year old, uh, you know, popular girl. Awesome. So you love is what you're saying every year. It was like, yeah, I'm going back to camp. Absolutely. Yeah. And then I would, yeah. And then I'd go home and like have no friends. And I with bread, no friends. What you lacked in friends, you made up with in bread. So I made up for a Mr. Salty pretzels and, uh, Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. Mr. Salty pretzels and uh, Lipton iced tea was like, what I lived <laughs> on. <laughs> Summer camp was like your real life the life you wanted to lead and, and home was, was just what you had to endure to get back to camp. That's very Harry Potter. You get out from under the steps, you go to camp and then you have to go back and you're like, Ugh. I mean, except for the fact that my parents were amazing people and my brother is great. And like, like my sure. family is really awesome. I wasn't tortured by them. I was just tortured by the people in Windsor Park, Queens, who would probably deny torturing me. And being a teenager. I mean, that's that's yeah. tough all over. It sounds like you obviously took it hard. You know, you had it you had it pretty good. But, you know, that's those are shitty years. Yeah, I was the, yeah. I was so awkward, you guys. And so also confident, like at the same time, like I met my soon to be like next best friend, my high school best friend in junior high school when I knocked on their door, this like round 11 year old in my new neighborhood selling Avon. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, camp was like this great place until it wasn't. Like, okay, my first lead in a play at camp was they at 11, they cast me as Lola in Damn Yankees. And my boyfriends were both old and young Joe. I dropped old Joe for young Joe. Let's let's pretend I don't know that play. <gasps> Leave the room, Ian. Yeah. Really, Ian. Jeez. Because I totally know it. <laughs> Can you tell me who Lola is from Damn Yankees, please, Steve? Uh, she's the girlfriend of old and young Joe. Yeah. <laughs> oh. She's a siren who seduces a very avid baseball player. She gets him to sell his soul, basically, so that he can become a star baseball player for his team. That's why it's called Damn Yankees, because the Yankees always... I think you're confusing that with... Uh, uh, the Natural. The Natural, right, exactly. It's the musical, pre-Natural musical for the Natural. The Natural is Damn Yankees for dummies. So you were Glenn Close. Isn't she? She's the mysterious woman, right? She's she's not the mysterious woman. She's the girlfriend, the mysterious... Oh, no, she's Kim the Basinger. Kim Basinger, oh, right? Right, 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 right? Oh, yeah. Kim Basinger always has to be like the evil one. I, yeah. yeah. Glenn Close didn't get to be evil till later. Kim Basinger is so tit positive. <laughs> Way to bring it back. <laughs> so I was, everything was good until the year that it wasn't. And okay. I went to camp. And remember how I told you, like, I broke up with the guy who was playing old Joe when, like, years ago, when I first went to camp to go out with this guy who was young Joe, David Migliaccio. The Migliaccios wound up informing a lot of my life. Later on, I would meet David's older brother, Stephen, at college. And that was like a whole other, that's a whole other story. Is this an Italian, Italian Jew? So it was a Jewish camp. But not, not everybody was Jewish. Not was, all. Yeah. And yeah. there were the Migliaccios. So it was like, there was mid people from Mid-Queens like me. And there were people from Long Island, from the five towns, and who had probably more, much more money than we did. And then there were... For some reason, right across that border there, you're the girls from Beach Channel High who were like, or Rockaway, who were like really, really tough Southern Brooklyn girls. I don't know why the movie actors were there. They were definitely not Jewish. They were Italian. They were hiding. They were laying low. <laughs> yeah. That year in my bunk, for some reason, I walked into camp that year and I was all of a sudden, I was just, I was it. I was like the girl that was going to be tortured. And what year is this, though? How many years had you gone to camp and then all of a sudden it turned? Was this your third year, fourth year? Third or fourth year. Okay. So probably like going into the fourth year, say. I went to camp for six years. So right when, I mean, you are feeling it. You can't wait. Fourth year. Now, now you're making out with people. Now now things are getting hot and heavy. And you show up for year four and it just goes to shit. My oldest best friend, Sherry Berenson, had gone with me the first year. I think she didn't go the second or third year. And then she came back. She was there this year. We were older by then, but I was like, you know, really the youngest person in my grade, right? Really late developer, hit puberty way later than everybody else. It's like, I'm in puberty. So it's even like worse, socially awkward than I've ever been. And they just decide that I'm the person who's going to be tortured like this whole summer. So Christine Migliaccio is like the leader of this group of very tough girls who like threatened to beat me up. Like you're in a bunk with people who are threatening to torture you, who are torturing you. And Sherry, my best friend, we weren't hanging out. Like she wasn't really hanging out with them either, but she was definitely not like buddying up with me. And I didn't, it wasn't like I was betrayed. Either. You were too hot to handle. No, I was such a, I was just the. I, I don't mean it in a bad way, but she was just like, oh, she's, 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 she's she can't be helped this summer. Yeah. I wish I could. I'm sorry. Yeah. She certainly, she didn't give a shit about anybody else. Sherry 
<laughs> wouldn't give a shit about anybody else liking her or not liking her. We were both in our own hotness ways, but she wasn't having trouble socially. This is the seventies guys. So like our group leader is like somebody in their twenties who like comes into the bunk and smokes cigarettes, like hangs out with the girls and does makeup. And so when the other girls are beating up on me or picking on me, does nothing but lays around and like has somebody else in the bunk, like massaging her feet, you know, like there was no help from the adults. The counselors just ignored and they tortured me. It came to a point where, and this is before the event, it came to this point where I came back from something an activity and on my bunk bed was uh, my pillow was covered in sanitary napkins that were red, like everywhere all over my bed. Ah. Painted red or like magic marker red or organically red. No, where they weren't organically red. They, I mean, maybe, I don't think so. It was more like ketchup or, and like nail polish. It was just, yeah. it was like, oh, this is a really fun thing to torture Karen. Right. Yeah. And you have to understand like, also like I'm the kid who went to camp with books. Right. So I'm like walking around reading Herman Hesse. And I don't really have a common circle of communication with these tough girls from Southern Queens, right? Like Karen, had these girls been there in years before and just like, you know, didn't coagulate and didn't gather or were they new to this camp? Yeah. That's interesting. So as you're saying that, I can remember so some of the girls I think had been there for a year or two beforehand. But the this girl, this really tough girl, she had, you have to understand she was like really tall and really skinny and had the really bad Farrah Fawcett, like, you know, when oh. you take the curling iron and the blonde hair were just like. Yeah. <laughs> you say really bad and that like, you know, makes me very uh, wiener positive. Yeah. <laughs> like that's, that, those are like early memories of like Tatum O'Neill and like Christy McNichol and like, you know, Little Darlings and and fair faucet and like those are just like the first crushes i mean those but that's the girl so she was the ringleader she was the ringleader and she was i think you know it wasn't like i you know there were race riots in my junior high school like it wasn't like i wasn't i was i grew up in the city it wasn't like i was some rube like i understood how to take care of myself or to like you know back away i had some self-defense that my dad taught me a whole bunch of like judo and stuff. He was a sergeant. And like, that was something that my dad would do for fun was teach me how to like, you know, roll or, um, or flip somebody with their own weight. But, um, I was always like best all around camper. I didn't fight. Like I was always like really sportsmanlike. I was so much less aggressively competitive Jess than I am as an adult. I was like always a good sport. I, you know, I played sports my whole life. I was like taught to be a really good sport. Plus I was a dancer. Like, so I like, had a certain level of discipline that other kids my age didn't have. Like there's a shit you put up with. And so I get back to the bunk and I, I don't know, I don't remember anything that happened except that I came in, I say, saw this and I went to tell the counselor and they did nothing. And I went to tell the group leader and she did nothing. My bed was disgusting. And Sherry had been sharing our bunks. I was on the, I guess I was on the top bunk and she was on the bottom bunk. They started physically coming after me and they were going to beat the shit out of me. And the thing about Shar is she's always been like a foot taller than me and she's incredibly strong and terrible. I guess she could be terrible. She's the sweetest thing. She'd be terrifying. They said, okay, we're going to beat the shit out of you. And she stood up out of nowhere and went, okay, but first you got to get through me. Oh. And the, I'm in wow. Africa. She just totally saved my ass. Right. So that's my summer. It's like my bodyguard. <laughs> oh, another great movie. Christopher Makepeace. That's the meatballs. My, you know, that's the connection there to me. Yeah. Oh my God. It's such a crush on Christopher Makepeace. Oh. So did you guys do like shows and stuff? Did you have to see the, these girls outside of your bunk all of the time? 
so we were old enough where we didn't have, I mean, I, for somebody with ADHD, it's like the best thing because you have activities and everything is organized and you're physical. But as we got older, there's a lot more free time. And um, those girls were definitely not in the show. They weren't in the musical. Yeah. You know? I don't know which musical we do that year. I was usually the lead, except I think that year Shari was the lead. And that was the year that we did the all white, all Jewish version of The Wiz. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, I heard about that. <laughs> I grew up on the West Coast. We, we heard about that show. <laughs> That's right. Just, I'm so sorry to, like, oh, every please. person in the world for that. But, yeah, Shari would come out and go, like, Toto, Toto, where is that full dog anyway? <laughs> but Shari had, like, the most gorgeous singing voice. So she could sing home. It was It was incredible. Before that, previously to that, right, so we would, like, the girls would get together at night when the years were good. We're like every, all, the girls would play guitar, like we sing so many bread songs. Yeah. You know? The yeah. celiacs didn't bother you singing bread songs. Yeah, right. It, they, there was always something where I couldn't like really get behind. I think it's the only year I didn't have like a, a I didn't have a boyfriend that year. Like normally, like I got to camp and usually like there wasn't medium Joe. There's old Joe, young Joe. There's no medium Joe in there. Somewhere in there, there That's was. Off. Like, yeah. That's off. Yeah. Yeah. This humiliating thing that would we do at my camp, I think that other camps do too. So you're in the dining room and the whole camp is eating together. And one of the kids in the bunk will go, quiet, please, quiet, please. And then they'll say dedicated to, and they'll name somebody's name. And they'll stand up, the whole bunk stands up and they go, let's say it was like David Migliaccio, right? This is dedicated to David Migliaccio from the whole camp. Oh, David, oh, David, you must come over. David Migliaccio, there's no one here but the kitty kitty cats. And Karen's heart goes pity pity pat. Karen gets that is. And then the whole bunk sits down. You're sitting there like this. And then David Migliaccio's bunk would get up and they would go dedicated to Karen gets. And either they would say they'd sing the whole song back. So then you were a couple. Or if you were unlucky, they would just go quiet, please, dedicated to, you know, Jesse Preisendorfer. There's no one here. And they sit down. Oh, my God. That's so cruel. So they were assholes. The 70s? I mean, I can't believe uh, any of this survived. But This is why there was so much cocaine in the 80s to get past the 70s. It was like a slingshot. Yeah. Just, just let's not feel the 80s. Like the social life was then, you, you know, you would leave the dining hall. And then you would go back to the bunk and you had free time for like a half an hour. And then you'd go to the canteen when your time was and your parents had put money in the canteen and there was a jukebox and you wore your platform shoes and you're like low rise, like, like Calvin Klein's right. And your tube top, like your half tube top um, show off. However, you got sunburned that day and you would go dance. Well, I would go dance. I fuck everybody. I would go dance too you know, Michael Jackson. Yeah, good for you. There are a lot of strong summer memories from the 70s, like the late 70s in that canteen. But it was it was a beautiful place. Like, and I love the country. What was the communication? Was it like just letters home? And were you just like, I'm fine, I'm all, all's well? Or did you get a phone call and were you like, come get me or? Oh, I was never that kid. I mean, I was always the goodbye kid. I was always like, my parents would say, I was so secure. Like my family, very solid, loving family. So I was always like, bye. I turn around and go to camp. I mean, I always loved a new adventure, but my mother's show, cause you couldn't get, you couldn't get into the dining hall on Friday night, unless you had a letter home. By the time, like I got this down pat, it was like, you trade stationary, you trade seals. Like 
writing letters was an art and I was really good at it. But like in the summer, no, I would just address a letter that was had nothing in it to my parents and said, so they they refused you food if you didn't write a letter to your parents. I never saw anybody refused food, but you had in order to get in. So there was the illusion of that. Sherry called her parents. Sherry got her parents to pick them up. She did not want to be at camp and yeah. and my other friend Lisa Joseph also so even though this was a, like a, a shitty summer um experience it was it still better than going home just because it was beautiful and you could dance and do shows and do other things I, I just would never even consider it I'm yeah I'm also wondering and I'm trying to think if this was the year also traumatically one of these summers and it might have been this horrible summer my uncle died in the middle of the summer like really close family. My mom has no siblings. My dad only had two brothers, very, very close with my older uncle because he kind of raised my father when his father dropped dead. And my uncle dropped dead at 47, the same way, same age as my dad's father. And they didn't tell me. So my family also stopped writing to me. Yeah. Oh my God. And I knew something was up because my dad would write me the, my dad was, my dad and my mom are great. My, my, My dad would write me, funny letters always my dad wrote me the fun i still have all of them my dad wrote me like the funniest letters you know we were we're writing my brother's a a writer like we're a family that writes like we would write like really funny also the kids at camp no understanding like quoting like the round table at at the algonquin like you know benchley and like like all these like writers from the 20s (laughs) like the kids all just thought i was an alien which leads us to the evening. Ooh. Okay. Okay. Nice. I see. I see what you did there. Here we are. I, I, I think honestly, I think honestly, Karen just reminded herself that that's what the what story, the story is. Yeah. Four, 40 minutes in, Karen's <laughs> like, oh, wait, hold on. I'm sorry. I am. I'm the worst one, right? I'm the worst. No, they're great. Oh, no, 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 it's no, still no. Great. Nowhere near. But I just think you honestly mentioned Alien and you were like, oh, that's right. No, I didn't forget. I can't think. I mean, there are a lot of things I think about camp. I remember every cheer I ever learned. I remember every Color War song. I could sing the song from when we were the the Blue Hobbits or like, you know, like when we were the Arapaho. Arapaho. We had tons of cheers that we sang, but this is like the most quintessentially 70s New York completely different time stream than we live in now go fuck yourself <laughs> kind of to the delaware i pledge my abortion the loss of my virginity the friends who have made us the friends who have laid us will linger through my pregnancy if i had a daughter i'd send her to iceland as far from this campus can be no counselors to woo her no waiters to screw her oh delaware shit on me oh delaware <laughs> wow shit on the Damn. that was my summers that was my job oh. is that the official song of the camp yeah that's that's when they bring the the slideshow <laughs> not having gone to camp i feel like an alien in this crew <gasps> nice one no, steve way to bring it back you still have thank it you. steve thank you, you still can improvise that was so good thank you <laughs> so i was trying to like figure like should i preface or should i post and i'm going to preface by saying in the Berkshires during this year, and especially this summer, there was a shit ton of sightings and experiences that people had, including at my own camp that I didn't know about. And that's what you'd see. Yeah. If you look at what you should look it up, Camp Delaware UFO, and then it'll come up with exactly the same night that I had my experience during the day. 
a bunk had gone up to what we call Blueberry Hill. Blueberry Hill. There were blackberries on it. There were no blueberries, and I don't know why they called it Blueberry Hill. Maybe they called it Blackberry Hill. But I knew nothing about this at all. And so that year, our bunk was across the street from this man-made lake. And when I first came to the camp, the first two years I came to the camp, we had no swimming pool. We had this lake that was like a um, like a dammed little mountain lake. It wasn't a natural lake, but it was filled with natural water and it was dark and cold. I didn't care. Like the swimming test was, you know, swimming from the dock to the dock across the lake. And yeah. in day camp, I'd already gotten my accreditation stuff. Like I was always a good swimmer, but I probably got my junior life-saving and my life-saving accreditation at camp in that lake. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, like tip the canoe over, sing the canoe underneath and all that stuff. Um, I love that shit. I just like it. I am the most, I know like this, like really cynical New York kid. And I just love camp and I loved cheering and I love color war and I love like all the competition. I love the Apache relay and it's all sounds terrible now. And they have to change all the names of everything, <laughs> but loved camp, except I was really tortured and lonely in this summer. And so mm-hmm. I just like, you know, gotten beaten up or humiliated or whatever. And I'm like in the corner by myself with my books and I go out to the lake to sit by myself. And it's this beautiful Berkshire mountain night. And it's the 70s. So you can still like global warming hadn't really started yet. Yeah. But uh, it was a beautiful night. And I love being out in the woods by myself. And so I was like sitting by the lake. And my bunk was across the street from the lake. I just, I sat there and I'm feeling bad for myself. Probably, you know, feeling especially bad for myself and sad in the way that only a teenager can feel sad. That is not like a dangerous sad but like a deeply indulgent kind of sad. I probably no one else remember. around. You're by yourself sitting on a bench. Nobody was looking for you. Nobody was coming to talk you out of yourself. Nobody. No one was singing a song about you in a positive manner. All the leaves are brown. All the leaves are brown. That would not be the song would be like something from Sweet. It was like probably like Little Willie was like probably the top hit song of the, that year. Or some red song, right? Yeah. I found a diary underneath a tree. Um, uh, you know, it was also this time when like nobody was in charge. Like kids were on their own. It was bad news bears yeah. all the way. Like uh, I started smoking pot when I was 11. I was smoking cigarettes, certainly. Like I was this athletic kid and this dancer. And I like, you know, I was probably smoking parliaments at the point. So was- they were good for you in the 70s. <laughs> Especially parliaments. Yeah. My hands were so small that I could reach into the canteen. There was a cigarette machine in the canteen, of course. Yeah. And I could reach my hands underneath the cigarette machine and pull out the Benson and Hedges long, nice. like backwards and get free cigarettes, which were 60 cents at the time, 75 cents. Wow, crazy. Um, we used to hitchhike into town. We were like 13, 14 years old on yeah. our day off when we were CITs. We just hitchhike into town like you do, do your laundry, go to the bar, have, have slow, comfortable screws at the bar when you're 13 and you look like you're nine. Yeah. That's <laughs> Ian, Ian's face is a poster. <laughs> there was a cigarette machine at camp. Yeah. In course. the 70s. Come on. Yeah. yeah. In the canteen where the, like, that's the kids hangout. Yeah. Jesus. No, 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 Jesus. <laughs> oh, Jesus. So I'm sitting by the lake by myself and it's probably like nine o'clock. It's dark. So it's probably like nine o'clock. It's full dark. Yeah. Stars are out. A lot of stars. Gorgeous night. Yeah. And I look up in the sky and there's something that catches my eye. And there is an object moving across the sky. And I remember I went, that's ridiculous because it looked like the 
cartoon drawing of what you would say a UFO looked like, right? It was a rounded disc with lights on the outside and a dome. Lights are shining down? No, well, they circled They circled the entire oh. vehicle, right? So the okay. spaceship was, the ship itself was circled like, like it came straight. I was like, that's ridiculous. Now you have to understand, Star Trek was on at 6, 7, and 11 o'clock every night in New yeah. York. And I watched it at 6, 7 o'clock, and 11 o'clock every night of my childhood. And you watched Lost in Space? And you watched... No. Lost... No? No. 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 How Not dare you, Jesse? Danger. Danger, Jesse. Danger. <laughs> no. No. I watched actual science fiction, you know, and good writing. <laughs> and wow. We never watched Lost in Space. That's why they hated me, Jess. Because that would be my reaction, and I'd get beaten up by all the kids yes. around me. You prefer to show where one man could populate the galaxy and defeat all his opponents with one blow to the back of the back? One little karate chop that he could do really well, and he never did it by himself. He was always supported by his by science and a girdle and by gumption and good engineering <laughs> and toupee glue. <laughs> And good toupee glue. But yeah, I'm the kid with the ridiculous vocabulary yeah. and the ridiculous IQ. And I'm surrounded by working class kids who just want to kill me for good fucking reason. Like, like Jesse right now. Like me. Danger. Danger, Mrs. Beisendorfer. So I'm at the lake and I look up and there's this object. And what was striking about it, and I think what caught my eye was that it did this thing. It just stopped moving. It was not so close that I was afraid that it was going to land or I didn't have that. But I do remember very distinctly, and memory is an iffy thing to begin with, but I do remember the sense of being caught. Seen? Like they saw you? No, that I didn't want to move, that I, was, I wasn't scared. Yeah. But I was, it was a feeling of being completely out of time which is interesting because the, the only encounter or thing that I remember from this whole experience is that I didn't remember and that there was, I lost an entirely huge chunk of time. Oh yeah. So there were hours that I can't account for. I mean, I don't have any like, you know, alien abduction stories like that, but I just remember not being scared, but I remember being very much caught in the moment and i mean that's me anyway like if anything's interesting that is the thing about adhd like you get very hyper focused on anything that's interesting to you and it was definitely very interesting and i'm i think the thing that saved my life my whole life is that i am really really interested in everything and i do really stupid things but i also was raised to be really neurotic <laughs> and i do have like the genetic memory of you know being run out of town and burnt in churches for thousands of years across eastern europe so like I have that like great balance of like, I shouldn't really do anything stupid and this could be really dangerous. But I just remember this feeling of like, I have to stay here. And I don't know how long I stayed there. I just know that I probably came out when it was dark and I went back many hours later and I don't remember a whole period of time. But I do know, I can tell you that this thing moved at about, and honestly, like the distance was, it was so, it was far enough away where I didn't feel like I could hear it, but I could hear it. Mm -hmm. And it moved. And this other thing about like um, 
I don't know if people who aren't dancers do this, but when you see things move, you hear the rhythm, you hear their rhythm score. Mm-hmm. That's just like a thing, or at least choreographers do. Like we, we see something, we hear the whole score of it. Like that's just a natural thing. So I could hear the score and the score was like, it was really smooth and it was like in a really even rhythm and then it just stopped. And so all of the sound and all of the time and all of my memory about it is just it's directly across from me in the lake and it's just me. That's very um, mathematical as well. Yeah. I mean, science, music, dance. I mean, those are all the language. They're, they're very mathematical. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Things that I, I love, like that's how my brain is. And, and also those are universal languages. So I don't know what it was, but I don't, I don't have any much more to say about that, except that it, it was there. And I watched and I went, you know, your whole body goes, that is not supposed to happen. My experience with with air vehicles are that they they move at a certain speed and they it's don't a speed stop. relative to me, yeah. and they don't stop. Well, you were you you started with that's ridiculous because it looks like you know what it's supposed to look like, right? And then we're spellbound, and you lost time. Yeah, and I was alone. Yeah, so I had nobody to be like, did you see that? Check it out. How do you know you lost? So what, when you came out of this, quote unquote, was it light out or just much, much later? It was much, much later. And I went back to the bunk. And also the other thing, the other weird thing was that it, it moved around itself. You said you weren't scared, but were you um, like anxious or was there more of like a peaceful, like, were you just like, wowed, like you're witnessing a true awesomeness? My natural instinct is to always be cautious because I'm a girl from New York City and I'm a Jewish neurotic person. Like, so like, I, I will say that if I, if my memory is correct or to quote Iron Jeff, if memory serves, it wasn't like this, like spiritual, I feel at peace. I think I'd already had that experience once or twice just being in nature and like, I know what that feeling is. It was more the... Um, scientific curiosity completely <laughs> takes over everything else and you're like what the fuck is that and no matter what you're feeling that's gone because it's so you're so focused on just assessing what it is and as an artist you're experiencing it right like at the same time it's beautiful it is impossible it's hovering that's not possible yeah because you can't explain yeah it's exactly it you can't explain it karen you had earlier you had alluded to something else that had happened uh, within the camp that you weren't part of or you weren't privy to is that, did other people see this as well? Yeah, so after I go back to the bunk, there was, and I don't remember who this person was. It wasn't my friend, Sherry, but it was another person that I definitely had a friendship with. So don't think I spent the entire summer by myself. It was somebody I trusted and I don't remember who it was, but I said to them, okay, this is really weird. I gotta tell you, I just saw this thing and it was a UFO. And while UFOs were a thing in the 70s, right? It was definitely before Close Encounters. 77, um, though. That was, Close Encounters is 77. Yeah, so it was before then. Okay. And and what was so weird about it was, like, when Close Encounters when it came out, and, excuse me, you got to the final scene. Thank you, Ginger Beer. Um, you got to the final scene. I was like, that's what I saw. Wow. That's wow. ridiculous. So, yeah. it looked, and I don't know right now, I go, is that my memory playing tricks on? But the, I went and I said, I saw this saucer. Yeah. <laughs> so I fucking flying saucer and it, it had blue lights, blue and white lights. And it, it revolved around itself. And I told this friend and she totally believed me. And the next day I forgot who she told, but the news came, I was on the news, 
And I remember that it was the Hartford, like it was probably like the Hartford Press. And the woman was so amazing. She was a great reporter. She asked me questions. And one, she said, did you know about the kids? So apparently, without me knowing this, during the day that day, later in that day, a group, a bunk had gone up to Blackberry Hill. And it became a huge thing because they made the counselor deny it. And then he came in later. I think he sued people because they all had this like life-changing experience. That craft landed in the field where they were, this counselor and his bunk of kids. And they had a fucking encounter. Wow. I had none of this information. And when I told the story, I remember telling the reporter, I don't know how to express to you that I, there's an, I'm not making anything up. This is just what happened to me. And I wasn't the kind of kid who was look. I mean, like I'm a kid, like, so like, you know, you get pulled into stuff, but I was also always had a sense of like responsibility for like group mind yeah. and masses, like big into civics as a kid. I was always taken out to be in those leadership classes where I was like learning how to like be a civic leader and not get engaged in like group emotion. Like, so they start training us in New York, like really early, like probably when I was 11, I started taking those classes. So I just remember being like, this is not me like catching the emotion, right? Like, this is just what happened. And the reporter said, I believe you. I really believe you. I think I got accused of like picking up on the story for attention from the kids. I didn't fucking care. And I never really, I told my husband this story. I told my kid the story. It's a joke with us because my kid is so fucking brilliant and amazing. I'm always like, I think the aliens put. <laughs> yeah. But I think you're a benevolent alien that's here to help us all. Because I take no claim for all the amazingness that is the child that came from my body. But um, they believed me and it was on the news. And then, you know, I think I told my parents, but it wasn't like I'd call my parents or I'd write my parents and go, I've got the lead in the play. It wasn't like that. I think I spoke to them. It was like, by the way, I saw this UFO. And then I kind of like don't really talk about it. And then this summer or last year during lockdown, one, the government came in and went, oh, you're not crazy. <laughs> Fuck you. Thank you. Um, yeah. And I did some research over, I think since there's a great piece, if you haven't seen it on, they rebooted um, mysteries, uh, what you call it? Unsolved mysteries. mysteries. Yeah. And now it's like a very high production value, really well done show. Not like the shows I watched in the seventies, like because Leonard Nimoy ran that. What was that show? Nova discovery. No, Leonard Nimoy would like, investigate like ley lines and like ancient mysteries Mm. and like the Bermuda Triangle, you know, it was like how people are now, except they have the internet now to increase their stupidity and the force of their denial of reality. And uh, I didn't think about until this, this year, really seeing the government report and then watching this event that happened in the Berkshires a couple of years earlier where people were abducted and it is. Wow. It is so fucking compelling. And, you know, I keep checking my brain saying like, you know, what are you filling in here? Want to believe these people were the holes in their stories. And I, I can't, I can't find them. Yeah. I just don't, I can't find them. So I saw a UFO and um, I feel really blessed that I got to experience yeah. that. Yeah. And I kind of like, I don't even need to like have the justification yeah. of it, but there are people who collect all the sightings and have for like the last, you know, all the sightings of the last 60 years. And that summer was pretty hot. And you were the only, you were the only one in camp interviewed by the news. 
No, I think they did not by this reporter, but I think that there was, there was, there's no press. So if you find, if you research it, you won't find me. You won't, there's no um, video and there's nothing left of my report, but there is a report of the, what happened on the Hill with this counselor. It sounds like this was one of those sort of hot spots. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, if you watch the Unsolved Mysteries, you'll see it's the Berkshires just, it's a dark line. I mean, that's what freaked me out because I watched that and I went, first of all, they describe everything that I saw and and Rob was sitting with me and he just looked at me and I was like, I drew you that picture once. Like, like, when looked at it. Do you still look up in the sky at night and think about it? How could you not? You know, I guess I, I do. I mean, I, I like I just look up at the sky always, but I often look up the sky and quote Star Trek. But not lost in space. Yeah!